Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio. Dr. Daniels. This is our last episode of the year, and we are going to recap the year with the top most downloaded radio shows from this uh, series from 2016. And I'm going to start with number 18. This is so exciting. Uh, as always, uh, you have totally surprised me. You've picked shows that you know I would never have guessed. But that's great. So we're going to talk about, we're going to review these shows and kind of recap what the show was about and what the take-home message was. So show number 18 is an alarming trend, educating your doctor with propaganda. So this is number 18, but it's number 18 out of 52. So that's pretty high, pretty high rank. And so in this show, uh, Using, of course, the medical industrial complex's own data, uh, as furnished by Medscape, reviewed the health hazard of foodborne illness outbreaks. And so uh, this kills, depending on who you believe, anywhere from 3,000 to 10,000 Americans a year. Definitely a problem when you consider that Ebola, which killed no U.S. citizens, uh, a class one emergency. So... Definitely, it's a serious problem, no question. However, the cases and outbreaks reviewed for your doctor contained no mortalities. And your doctor was actually given information, instruction, and direction to pass on to you that had really nothing to do with you ever 
um, escaping a foodborne illness. So pretty much all the deaths were caused by food that crossed state lines. So literally, just by eating locally, eating food grown in your own state, it was never transported across state lines, that little thing, not hand washing, just that little thing um, would protect you. But that was never mentioned to the doctors, of course. And so this one example, which is actually typical of how doctors are trained, explains why 50% of what doctors are taught is simply irrelevant to your health. And of course, as we covered in the show, if half of what they've taught is irrelevant to your health, and they make a decision about your health involving, let's say, four pieces of information, then the conclusion must necessarily be false. In other words, the diagnosis or treatment plan can almost never be correct or accurate if half the information going into the plan is false. It's kind of like getting directions on how to get across town and half the turns are incorrect. Well, you're never going to reach your destination. So the same with uh, medical intervention, and what your doctor has actually taught. And so this means then your doctor can be highly trained, he can be certified, he can pass all of his tests with very high marks, and still the care that you get is irrelevant to your health. All right, what's next? Ooh, this is a good one. Researchers find medical errors are now the third leading cause of death in the United States. This is such an awful problem that the medical industrial complex has had to confess that medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the United States. This is kind of like copying a plea. In other words, let's say uh, a criminal commits a crime, a serious crime. Let's say uh, he murders and dismembers a person. Says, wait, 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 wait. I want to plead guilty to petty larceny because I took 25 cents out of the victim's pocket, and the government would say, hey, yes, you can cop a plea to petty larceny, we'll charge you with that, and you'll have a lesser offense. That's called copying a plea. So in this case, with medical errors, we know that medical intervention, we'll call it, results in the death of at least 880,000 Americans a year. I must confess that I became so troubled and distressed that I stopped counting at 880,000, there have since been other estimates that exceed a million, which I think is more accurate. Because uh, we know from other shows and other research that receiving medical care on a continual basis actually reduces your life expectancy by more or less seven years. That's another show. But medical errors, now the third leading cause of death. This is inaccurate. First of all, they're not mistakes. These are doctors following the standard of care. So in medical parlance, the word error does not mean mistake. It means the outcome was patient harm. So these are all called errors because the outcome is patient harm, even though no doctor made any mistake. Each doctor involved did exactly what he was trained to do. So first of all, medical errors, that's a misrepresentation called a lie. And then the third leading cause of death is actually not the third leading cause of death. It's the first, cause, first leading cause of death. But the perception among just everyday people, we'll call them potential patients, of the medical system was becoming so atrocious that the system had to cop a plea and plead guilty 
to a lesser offense. In other words, they had to plead guilty to a lesser offense, meaning that it's the third leading cause of death, not the first, and that it's medical mistakes, not the standard of care. And so the medical industrial complex put forth this story to basically protect doctors, hospitals, and drug companies. And to get people to keep using medical care with the false belief that if only they could get it right, if only they found the right expert, if only they found the right doctor who would administer the standard of care properly, then, then they would improve. But of course, it's not true because the care is designed to be deadly. Uh, for information on that, you can get my book on Kindle, uh, which is um, the lethal dose, why your doctor is prescribing it. And so prescribing a lethal dose is actually an obligation of being licensed. So that was the number 17 story uh, picked by listeners. Medical errors, now the third leading cause of death. Again, uh, a lie on top of a lie on top of a lie, which is kind of the way the system deceives uh, the public. All right, then we have number 16, infection linked to increased risk for death by suicide. Now, this is shocking because it's not just any old infection. It's infections treated in a hospital. If an infection is treated in a hospital, what does that mean? Well, it means the person receives intravenous antibiotics, first of all. Why? Because if a person goes to a hospital and they just get handed a pill, and they lay in bed while they're being handed a pill, insurance won't pay for it. So if a person receives uh, antibiotics as a hospitalized patient, that antibiotic must have been given intravenously at least once. This is very different from an outpatient. The other thing we know about a person treated uh, for an infection in a hospital is they receive several doses of antibiotics. In other words, unlike being at home, they're not in a position to say, skip their antibiotic or forget it or just stop it because they feel better. And so also infections in the hospital that people are hospitalized for are treated with a different set of antibiotics. And it turns out that the antibiotics used for the treatment of hospitalized patients with infections is the cause of suicide. And these medications have actually been shown to cause suicide as much as two years in the future after discharge. Amazing. And so it increases the chances of suicide by as much as 30%. Yes. So if you have an infection and uh, you're being admitted to the hospital to be treated for that infection, you have to actually ask yourself, well, how do you want to die? you want to die of an infection? Do you want to die of suicide? Or maybe you want to do the natural route, which is basically have some more bowel movements, chuck down some charcoal, and that's pretty much all she wrote. Maybe a little bit of turpentine, and that's much, much safer than these intravenous antibiotics. Then finally, we have... um, Radio show number 15th, the 15th most popular show of the year, which is your privacy. Yes, your privacy. The medical industrial complex saw fit 
to publish an article lecturing individuals about their privacy and to keep their medical care private and do not share your medical information on social media. Don't do it because it might ruin your future. You need your privacy. And this is really uh, amazing coming from an industry that freely shares your information um, with insurance companies or anyone pretending to pay your bill and from an, from an industry that's known to sell information about patients. For example, if you are a pregnant woman and you go to get prenatal care, you will suddenly get deluged with literature about baby this, baby that, buy this, buy that. It's suffocating. Why? Because your doctor sold your name. <laughs> All this information is for sale. So an industry that itself is pretty careless with your privacy why would they not want you to go on public media and tell about your latest medical encounter and tell about how you had to wait so long, about how your insurance didn't cover it, and about how the care was not effective, and about how it actually harmed you? Why would they not want you to share your personal business on social media? Answer? Because it would easily, easily cancel out the propaganda they're putting out there. And so the um, doctors are actually being told to intimidate their patients into not sharing experiences, medical experiences, on social media. And this is just simply an, uh, an attempt to silence patients because if even 10% of patients shared their medical encounters on social media, that would create such a negative demand for medical services. It could just shut down the whole industry. And there's no amount of advertising that would counteract someone going on social media and seeing that their relative posted this devastating experience with the medical industrial complex. And the awareness of what's really going on would spread so quickly. So what's the answer? The answer is spread the word, share the love, Tell everyone you know how things are going. That is, if you are still using medical care at all. Okay. And number 14. So number 14 is a CDC report. That's the Center for Disease Control. They issued a report. Now, when CDC issues a report, it's because there's something going on that they think is really important that's impacting a lot of people. And so they have these alerts. And they, they even put out the um, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly report. But the CDC report says heart failure, that's a disease of the heart, heart stops working, death is on the rise. Well, this is an interesting thing, right? Because people are now receiving treatment for heart failure at an earlier and earlier stage of the disease, there are more and more drugs for the disease, and there are tons of more cardiologists specializing in it. So why is death going up if there's so much more medical attention being put forth on this disease? And so um, to summarize the show, if you did not see the show, most of the drugs that are used to treat heart failure actually worsen the condition. For example... When I went to medical school, we were taught that beta blockers, drugs that make the heart beat slower and weaker, 
should never be given to someone with congestive heart failure because, well, their heart is already not putting forth enough effort to get the job done, so you certainly don't want to make the heart weaker. And um, somebody did some kind of um, research, we won't call it bogus, we'll just call it research, showing, hey, these drugs can actually be helpful in heart failure. And so now these drugs are being prescribed in very high doses for patients who have heart failure. Patients with heart failure are also given a lot of diuretics, these are water pills. These water pills remove water from the circulation and can actually collapse the circulation, um, causing a blood pressure even lower and blood to not circulate properly. So the conclusion of the, of the uh, episode, of course, is, of course, heart failure death is going up because of the, of the treatment that people are given for heart failure. And I'll give you the punchline. The punchline is congestive heart failure is easily uh, cured with a one-week organic vegan diet done it myself. I had a patient with a 10% cardiac output. That's basically death's door, about to die. And just uh, made sure he got no hospital water and no hospital food. And in four days, he was up, talking, uh, demanding his keys, and ready for discharge. All that from... Uh, needing a heart transplant. So, there you have it. Episode, the 14th most popular episode of the year. And then the 13th most popular episode, antibiotic myths that could kill you. There's a lot of myths that could kill you with antibiotics. But the real shocker was these so-called myths were actually things that were taught to doctors, myself included, in medical school and things that are actually still being taught by doctors in, two doctors rather, in medical school. And so these antibiotic myths that could kill you are actually things your doctor is being taught. Little things like take the full course of antibiotics, don't stop the antibiotics just because you're feeling well. Well, it turns out that that's exactly what everybody should do. If you're feeling better, for Christ's sake, stop the antibiotics because it's taking the antibiotics that causes resistance. Not taking the antibiotics prevents resistant organisms from arising. And so that's just one of the major myths. So it's shocking that these myths, one, are being taught in medical school, but even two, even worse, is in this article, again, written on Medscape by the medical industrial complex itself, they're saying these are myths, but patients, instead of, just re- instead of realizing these are myths, they should call their particular personal doctor ask him if he would like them to persist and obey these myths or not. It seems to me that lies, fantasies, made-up stories have no place in medical care. But this article that exposes these myths states that there is a place for these myths in medical care and you should talk to your doctor to see if you need to follow mythical Standards, for your own good, of course. (laughs) So, uh, of course, the antidote to this is to be aware of the myths about antibiotics and uh, even better yet, to not take the myth. Now, another antibiotic myth is that a stronger antibiotic will stop resistant organisms. And, of course, that's another myth because organisms... um, ability to create resistance is huge. And so the only way to 
lessen resistance is to lessen antibiotic use. All right, number 12. This is a big one. I thought this one would be higher, but it did, it did make the top 18. Number 12 is the truth about cancer. What is the truth about cancer? The truth about cancer is that 80% of those diagnosed with cancer, I should say, I'll reword that, as many as 80% of those diagnosed with cancer do not have a condition that would shorten their life if left untreated. For example, 100% of people with DCIS, carcinoma in situ, a form of breast cancer, um, are basically healthy people. 100% of those diagnosed with prostate cancer. While uh, they may not be in the best of health, people with prostate cancer actually live longer than people without prostate cancer. So men who have prostate cancer live longer than men who don't have prostate cancer. Or, pretty even more precisely, men who die of prostate cancer die at a later age than men with prostate cancer. So, sometimes if you if you die of prostate cancer, you're going to die at a much older age than a person who dies of something other than prostate cancer. So, prostate cancer might kill, but it happens to kill somewhere around the age of uh, 80-something. And the average American male lives to about the age of 76. So obviously, if you leave your prostate cancer untreated and you die of the prostate cancer, on average, you're going to live four more years. How this became a disease, I did a whole radio show on that. This is an example of the truth about cancer. So the truth about cancer is that most cancers that are diagnosed do not require treatment. And if left untreated, it would never shorten the person's life expectancy. That is the truth about cancer. Now, in the midst of that, of course, the medical industrial complex is scrambling to reclassify cancers as non-cancers, to um, alter screening policies. I can only guess that somebody who mattered, not me, but somebody with a sufficient amount of uh, social status or money was mutilated, dismembered, or maybe even killed as a result of cancer therapy. And so as a result of this, um, the cancer industry is making some adjustments, but not very many. Okay, that's number 12. Number 11, clever disinformation. Clever disinformation, this is an amazing um, thing. So I had to, to mention this. Now, I call it clever disinformation, but now, since we've had the election, we have a new name for this called fake news. (coughs) And so, this is basically websites that um, hold themselves out as authorities or giving um, accurate information when they're just filled, riddled with totally false information. And so more and more, we're seeing websites um, that purport to help the layperson sort through all this stuff that's too complicated for people to understand, and that they've got they've got the truth. And so what we looked at was that a website called Mental Floss, and uh, they had a uh, 
posture on vaccines, if vaccines were necessary, important, and life-saving, when the medical industrial complex itself has confessed that many of these vaccines are actually ineffective. And the latest confession, of course, is the pertussis vaccine is totally ineffective, and the medical industrial complex is asking a question, how do we save the vaccine? Well, wait a minute, what about saving the people? What about saving patients? But no, they're uh, saving a vaccine, so there you have it. And so the clever disinformation is that you have a website that will give information, maybe uh, seven-eighths of what's on the website is accurate, but there's um, severe you know, propaganda infiltration. And so uh, this episode kind of alerts you to that fact, that a lot of you know, casual expert information is not what it appears to be. All right, just for kids. Oh, this is a biggie. This is number 10, so this is pretty high up uh, for the whole year. So just for kids is the medical industrial complex from the perspective of a child. So you have this child who, from conception nowadays, is being poked, prodded, drugged, and uh, the victim of attempted murder again and again and again. And so in this um, show or episode, we actually start from uh, conception and with the prenatal care, with the ultrasound, uh, which has been shown to actually cause retardation, slowing of the child's growth, leading to premature and unnecessary um, C-sections. So you get started with the ultrasound. Then you have the chorionic phyllis sampling, which causes anywhere from 1% to 2% of all um, babies so tested to abort and causes deformity in many, in many others. And then now we have the vaccines for mothers. So the latest research has shown, just by the way, that a woman who is vaccinated in the first trimester, has an in- her baby has an increased risk of autism. Oh, surprise. Are you shocked? Um, this was not statistically significant, but it did show um, a strong trend. There was no such um, measured change in the second or third trimester. I know what you're thinking. Oh, well, then can I get a vaccine in the second or third trimester? Um, that would be one way of interpreting it. Another way of interpreting it is you have an um, industry which is totally biased. They designed the study, and they couldn't even design a study to not show an effect in the first trimester. So um, that's pretty ominous. And so then we go on to the children being bombarded with antibiotics, which are now known to cause uh, childhood cancers. And then the continued immunization uh, throughout school causing, if not outright autism, um, decreased mental capacity. And so from the perspective of the child, which is the perspective I take here, is I encourage a uh, you know forgiving attitude towards the parents and uh, at least a decision that when the kids grow up, they won't put their own children through the same thing. Okay, that's just for kids. The next 
One is why you should avoid the most dangerous room in the hospital. This is a shocker because there's a lot of specialty rooms in the hospital. But the most dangerous room in the hospital is actually the emergency room. turns out if you show up in the emergency room, you actually increase your chances of dying by anywhere from 25 to 50%, depending on, of course, which emergency room you go to. But even the better emergency rooms increase your chances of death by 25%. And so people, of course, will say, well, doctor, what if I have a life-threatening disease? Well, emergency rooms have proven that they are not capable of saving your life. That's not what they do. Um, in fact, in um, Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, those of you who are familiar with West Philadelphia, it's a, it's a rough, rough neighborhood. So I went to school in West Philadelphia. It's where the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine and Wharton Business School are located. There's a lot of shootings in West Philadelphia. And what they found was if a person was shot, we have no more information than that, but if they were shot and they were put in an ambulance and driven to the emergency room, their chances of living were 18% less than the same person who was picked up and put in the back of the car and driven to the emergency room. And then, of course, once they got to the emergency room, of course, they experienced a 25% increase death because of the emergency room. And then, if unlucky them, they were transferred to the intensive care unit, they would have an excess mortality of 15.6%. So you can see that the only thing more deadly than a bullet is the medical care that one receives for the bullet. And so, uh, in this episode, I talk about the dangers of the emergency room and how going to the emergency room actually increases your chances of dying. And it's, it's absolutely uh, shocking. And again, this is information provided by the medical industrial complex itself. So what's the answer? The answer is don't go to the emergency room. If it can possibly wait uh, till the morning, uh, you go to your doctor's office to do that. The problem with going to the emergency room is there's a cover story for your death. You go to the emergency room and say, oh, wow, you know, the person's so sick. They went to the emergency room last night. Oh, my God, they died. It must have been serious uh, when actually they were killed by the emergency room. But if you go to a doctor's office and you drop dead, it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> what did that doctor do? Let's investigate. So uh, if there's any way at all, it's can wait till morning. Definitely have it wait. Uh, the next is number eight. Is your doctor giving grade B advice? Now, a lot of us know what grade B is. So grade B means second rate. It means, uh, you know, undesirable. They even give a definition of it. Here it is. It's a strong recommendation with a moderate quality of evidence. Moderate quality of evidence. How do you like that? Moderate quality of evidence. Benefits clearly outweigh the risk. And quality of supporting evidence is that further research, if performed, is likely to have an impact on the confidence in the estimate of benefit and risk and may change the estimate. In other words, further research, if performed, is likely to change the recommendation. This is grade B advice. And this is the advice, the general level of advice or quality of proof and evidence that buttresses the standard of care. 
And doctors are so brainwashed that they accept this. Wait, you mean you're you're teaching me stuff in medical school that's supported by information that's likely to be proven false if more research is done? Well, why don't we skip this chapter? But no. Why? Because the uh, doctor in training has absolutely no input whatever over what he's being taught. And it's not even in a position to demand better quality information. Um, breast cancer screening is buttressed by grade B or worse information. This is grade B or worse. That's the medical industrial complex's own rating, grade B or worse. Cholesterol screening, grade B or worse. These are like, you know, practices that are, uh, you know, widespread, standard of care. Any good doctor would do it. Um, the flu shot, grade B. Lung cancer, lung cancer screening, grade B. And so these are all the things your doctor is doing, standard of care things, that have evidence supporting them that the medical industrial complex itself says that they reasonably expect that if more research were done, the recommendation would change. How about that? Or would not be made. We have a very active chat room, by the way. It's healingwithdrdaniels.chitango.com. That's healingwithdrdaniels.chitango.com. Lively discussion. Every now and then I'll glance over there. And uh, we'll also have questions, too, at the end. Alrighty. So, what else do we have? Trends in medicine for 2016, what's in it for you? <laughs> All right. So, uh, in 2016, they did an article about trends in medical care, basically trends in terms of your doctor, in terms of his practice situation, decision-making, and so on. And basically, in 2016, the trend is that doctors would have less and less decision-making uh, freedom, they, in other words, they would not have the freedom to tailor their recommendations to a particular your situation. And that the doctors, more and more of them, would be employed. In other words, they would answer to an employer. That means not you. Telling your doctor what to do and expecting him to actually do it is like telling the person at McDonald's you know, to make you a lasagna and expecting you to do it. Well, they have orders, and they're only allowed to do certain things a certain way. Not necessarily good, not necessarily bad, but you're not the one in control. And so the big trend in 2016 for medicine is that your doctor has become more and more of a clerk, um, an individual whose only option is to follow orders or get out. And with that trend in medicine... That means that you can't reasonably go to your doctor and make a request of him of any kind. And so if you understand that your doctor does not have flexibility um, or creativity, and that depending on who he works for, that's going to determine what drug you get, 
then it helps you understand and not feel so frustrated. So of course, the answer then is to realize that your doctor is not making these decisions and not to expect a whole lot there. And number six, very popular show, show number six, free at last. And so uh, one of my clients who signed up for my um, individualized coaching program um, freed herself from the medical industrial complex. And she was very much uh, captive. She had Ray Nose as a teenager. She was diagnosed with DCS, fake breast cancer, and actually had a uh, mastectomy. She was also diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and with autoimmune um, conditions. And after working with me for um, 16 weeks, she was able to have no more screenings, no more doctor visits, no more fear, better health than ever. Able to actually throw a party and show up for it, um, not need any medications, and have a life uninterrupted by illness. And so um, this person, before she had encountered me, had done all kinds of stuff. She'd done the paleo diet. She'd done um, vegan diet. She'd done a raw food diet all kinds of things, and was really at the end of a rope. Finally, uh, oh, she's also been to lots of alternative doctors, all kinds of blood tests, spent over $100,000, and finally she, uh, something clicked. She said, you know, it might be parasites. And so she uh, signed up, and we um, set her free. Cleaned up, cleaned up the parasites, increased her nutrition, rebuilt her system, and now she's free of a medical industrial complex. And that is what everybody needs to do. Everybody needs to free themselves from the medical industrial complex. However they can do that, whatever that looks like. (laughs) Okay. A lot of action in the uh, in the chat room. All right, prevent cognitive decline at your health food store. This is a shocker. Now, to put this in perspective, you got to realize the medical industrial complex takes the position Alzheimer's cannot be prevented, cannot be cured, it can only be treated. And so, recent research has shown that you can actually prevent Alzheimer's at your health food store. And They even went so far as to reveal what these supplements were. Hold on to your seat. Vitamin A. Can you get that? Vitamin A. They said you can do it as beta carotene, but either way, it'll help. Cod liver oil. Sound familiar? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Flaxseed. Yep. Sounds familiar. Garlic. And green tea extract. Amazing. Amazing. And this is what the medical industrial complex came up with to prevent cognitive decline in people with Alzheimer's, to give them these things. Absolutely amazing. But do you think, do you think they would teach it in medical school? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Do you think they would teach it at continuing medical education? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And this is one thing I noticed when I was practicing medicine is 
when I would hit up against something that made no sense to me at all, I said, you know what? This is not making any sense. They taught me this in medical school. I'm doing this, and no one's getting better. I go to the, the library, the medical school library. The literature on the topic absolutely does not support the standard of care. In other words, when they train doctors in medical school, they actually cherry-pick the literature. Or even worse, don't even present it at all. And just say to the medical students, trust us, we've looked. You don't have to. So what's presented to doctors in medical school and in continuing medical education conferences is not all representative of the research actually being done on a particular topic. And so uh, it's really shocking. You can prevent cognitive decline at your health food store, but your doctor is not going to tell you why. They didn't tell them in school, and they don't cover it in continuing medical education either. Ah, the Undiagnosed Disease Program. Uh, this ranked number four. This is the number four most listened to recorded, the Undiagnosed Disease Program. When I first found out about the Undiagnosed Disease Program, I said, oh, my God. And I said, geez, are they, are, they, are they diagnosing things? Are they sorting this out? Finally, they got a committee that's looking into stuff? Uh, not so fast. So it turns out that if you have a mysterious disease and it has not been um, diagnosed by your doctor, then you can go to the Undiagnosed Disease Program, which will... And about 2% of cases actually find out what's wrong and give you a label. Relief? No. Label? Yes. But if the success rate even in labeling you is so low, why bother? Answer, to keep you in the system, to seduce you, to make you think the system is capable of giving you positive outcomes when actually it's not designed to. It's like trying to rake your lawn with a potato peeler. The potato peeler was never designed to rake a lawn, so it's just not going to work out. Well, the medical system was never designed to heal you, so you're not going to heal. So that's the Undiagnosed Disease Program. And the third most popular show is Somebody is Stalking You. Somebody is Stalking You. Yes, you are being stalked. And what got me to do this show was when I realized that my husband was being stalked. And I had to protect him. I said, oh, my God. So he uh, is retired. And so he was getting these letters from his retirement board. And the letters were getting more and more threatening, more and more urgent, more and more menacing. And they were saying, sign up for this health insurance. What's your plan to this? Do that, or you're going to lose, or you're going to uh, lose your benefits. Um, sign up your loved ones. And so, way back when, in the 90s, when I first was practicing medicine, they would have you sign up your relative, say your spouse or your kid, by just writing down the kid's name and his birth date. Uh-uh. Now they want the relative's name, social security number, date of birth, address, phone number. All kinds of information. So it's simply a data mining program and a program of intimidation. The letters got so distressing and intimidating 
and my husband was getting so upset, I just stopped even handing him the letters. As many of you know, I live in Panama, and we have a system here where there's no street names or house numbers, so you have to go pick up the mail. So I would pick up the mail and just not hand him those envelopes, uh, threatening that he needed to sign up for uh, insurance. So you need to realize that you're being stalked. Um, all this open enrollment period, open enrollment period is about to close. Just forget about it. Let it go. Let it go. Um, these people don't mean you any good. Um, if you do get sign up for something, it's just going to go from bad to worse. Bad to worse. Um, as soon as you sign up, you're like, okay, okay. You're stalking me. I'm going to sign up. And then it really begins. Then they tell you all the rules you have to adhere to. And if you don't do this, then they're going to do that. And on and on and on. And it just uh, takes up your whole time and resources. <sighs> okay, next is state-sponsored cannibalism. Yep, state-sponsored cannibalism. Now... This is something I stumbled upon actually quite by accident. Many of you know I live uh, here in the tropics. And so I walked into this uh, herbalist shop and I said, eh, give me what you got. He said, well, what, what's wrong? What do, you want me, what do you want me to treat? Of course, I couldn't think of anything wrong. He said, well, something will give me more energy. She says, okay, here, take these two vials. And these vials were the um, boiled and processed body parts of the embryos of goats and uh, ducks and sheep. I said, whoa, I don't think I really want to eat this. <laughs> and I said, wait, wait, wait. Could it be that this stuff has fallen out of favor because people are eating human embryos? And then I looked into it. Oh, my God. And so we have stem cell transplant, which is nothing more than using the amniotic fluid obtained during amniocentesis. And amniocentesis is now a routine test recommended for women. And the amniocentesis causes death in about 1 in 200 cases. And so... This test, which is inaccurate, 90% of the time when the amniocentesis test tells you that your baby is genetically defective, at least 90% of the time the test is false, it's incorrect. And so it gets you to abort your baby when, of course, you had a healthy baby. That's one. But even worse is it causes abortion, period, just because of the procedure in about 1 in 200 people. So what does this mean? Well, this means that this test is being done as a source of amniotic fluid for this industry and to obtain these stem cells, which are basically human bits and pieces. And if amniocentesis were stopped tomorrow, then a lot of babies would live, about 38 per thousand, it's a pretty big number, would actually live. And the, so what's really going on here then is the amniotic fluid is actually a living part of the baby. And by violating that space, 
babies are killed. And these babies are killed in large number because this test needs to be done in order to gather amniotic fluid for this stem cell industry. And so people not realizing what's going on here are buying cosmetics made with stem cells, are getting stem cell injections, not realize, realizing that we have this uh, introduction to soiling green, the practice of eating other people. And then, of course, this is stop there. When the baby is born, the cord, if you're born in the hospital, is cut very quickly so that the umbilical cord and the placenta can be sold to the cosmetics industry and the pharmaceutical industry. Well, what does this mean? Well, this means the baby is deprived of anywhere from 5 to 20% of his blood volume. And many kids actually die as a result of that or require transfusions in the hospital because, well, their blood was stolen. And so this is a form of cannibalism. People are literally consuming other humans. In this case, you're consuming the next generation, for Christ's sake. And so um, this radio show talks about all the different forms of cannibalism that are actually being practiced um, in 2016. And the question, of course, is are you dining at the table? Are you consuming uh, cannibalized human parts? And then, of course, are you on the menu? So if you're a woman who is pregnant and plans to deliver your baby in the hospital, then you and your baby are most certainly on the menu. And um, just the practices instituted in the hospital surrounding childbirth are guaranteed your baby will be robbed of the blood he needs that's in your placenta and that his umbilical cord uh, will be uh, snatched and stolen. <laughs> and drum roll, the number one story of the year, the big story is why breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Yes. Why is breakfast the most important meal of the day? Those of you, I mean, anyone who's not been under a rock for the last 20 years knows that there are government breakfast programs in the schools to make sure that every single child has a nourishing breakfast so that these kids can pay attention, be alert, get better grades, and uh, imbibe propaganda better. What they found, of course, shocking, that these breakfast programs in no way improve the child's concentration or performance at all. And that breakfast actually is not the most important meal of the day. And if you historically go back, you will find that indigestion was a huge problem once breakfast became introduced uh, you know, for commercial reasons. So people generally ate lunch, which is uh, around noonish, and dinner, which was around 5 p.m., or really, the big pattern was people had one big meal in the day, and that was around noon, and that was pretty much it. But since there was the practice of the father going off to work, they had to create a second meal, which was dinner, around 5 p.m. when Dad got home. And so there was two meals a day, and that market got saturated. And so the only way to create more revenue was for the processed food manufacturers to create a third meal, and this was breakfast. And then they um, 
promoted this, advertised it, packed it full of processed foods, you know, the whole um, breakfast cereal wars going on in the store in the aisle. And this has been much to the detriment of the health of people in the United States. And so there is absolutely no evidence that um, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. In fact, there's every evidence that um, the breakfast trend and eating processed food for breakfast is what's driving the um, obesity situation in the United States. Of course, the moral of the story is do not set your food policies according to government policy or public service announcements. In fact, you might want to just do the exact opposite of whatever you find on a public service announcement. So those are the big stories of 2016. And next week, we're going to do predictions for 2017. That's always exciting. In fact, as we see here, the predictions for 2016 were... uh, among the top stories. So, as always, please visit vitalitycapsules.com, get your report, Candy to Cleaner, and we're now going to do questions. We have about eight minutes, so you'll have to be direct. Hi, you making your question? No. Hi, your name and your question? Okay. And third time's charm. Hi, you're on the air. Your name and your question? Hi, is, can you hear me, doctor? Yes, I can. Okay, so uh, so it's me. Okay, great. Uh, my name is Al. I've called before. I spoke with you. Uh-huh. Thank you for giving me the information in regards to... Um, a milk thistle as it relates to stroke. Uh, I also uh-huh. called you because I have a chronic knee problem and wanted to find out as far as stem cells is concerned, since you did mention it, um, <laughs> stem cells injection, is it very effective as far as uh, chronic knee problems, specifically arthritis and deteriorating joints? Okay, this is my opinion based on what I've read uh, online, the research I've reviewed, and the answer is no. Um, if you go to any stem cell center, they're going to tell you, wait, wait, you can't just get stem cells. Well, you got to change your diet. You got to take some supplements. You got to do this, do that. Why don't you just change your diet, take some supplements, do this, do that, and the knee is going to heal itself. So the contribution of stem cells, the actual healing process, does not appear to be substantial. Really? Okay. All right. Do you have any recommendations in regards to uh, helping the knee since it's, uh, supposedly it's completely shot? Supposedly, it's completely shot. Um, yes. Have you already been to the website, vitalitycapsules.com, and you got the um, Candida Cleaner report? I've got everything, including um, I've ordered a lot of um, a lot of the um, the product that you, uh, Vitality Capsules. All right, awesome. So the place to start is just to put apply turpentine to your knee. Turpentine, okay. And yeah, turpentine that's, would be what turpentine It'll stop the parasites from chewing away your knee and eating it up. 
Oh, okay. Right. All right. So they yeah, say, a- oh, you've got degenerative disease, or your knees are degenerating. Well, sure it's degenerating because the parasites are chewing away and eating it up. That's why it's degenerating. So that, that would be, yeah, that would be a definite start. And also the diet in that, in that report will reduce your arthritis as well. So I would start with that um, and get to work on that, and you'll, you'll see an improvement. All right. Well, I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Your question? Hey, Dr. Daniel. This is Tracy calling from Arkansas. Oh, okay. Hi. How are you? Oh, all right. All right. What's your, what's your take on what's your take on uh, toenail fungus? I've, I've had toenail fungus for a long, long, long time, and I just can't so get toenail rid of fungus. Yeah, toenail fungus is basically your body attempting to detox through your nails. That's basically pretty much the size of it. Um, many people have gotten rid of toenail fungus with the um, Candida Cleaner Report and turpentine. You have to take the turpentine internally and apply it in order to get rid of the toenail fungus. But the basic cause is uh, mm-hmm. internal um, toxicity. Is that toxicity around my feet or just, you know, in my uh, gut? It's in your blood. And so it circulates mm-hmm. around your body mm-hmm, and your immune system says, well, you know what? If we dump this junk in his feet, it's not going to kill us. Let's put it there. It's basically kind of the, the the reasoning process, the way it goes. Have you got your Candida Cleaner report yet? I just uh, got it today. Oh, perfect. All right. Yeah. So you can read that and um, get started. So it's important to, you know, have more bowel movements to get that stuff leaving by your uh, intestines and dumping it into the toilet. It's also important, you know, once you get started with the um, turpentine, to apply it topically to your toes as well. Okay, okay. All right, well, I'll do that, and thanks a lot, okay? Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Okay, we've got two minutes, and then the chat room has been hopping. Let me take a look at the chat room, see what they got to say for themselves. <laughs> Okay. All right. So they're they're concerned in the chat room that Michael J. Fox is supporting stem cell research. Uh, <clears throat> of course, Michael J. Fox, as we know, has a disease. They told him stem cell research is going to help. And so another person in the chat room says, this doesn't mean he knows anything. Most people in Hollywood are either profiting for the medical industry or just doing as they are told. Yes. All right. So I'm looking for the questions. Usually the questions are in blue. Okay. Dr. Dance, are you in contact with any of your medical school classmates? <clears throat> yes, I am, but I'm not sure that they know what I'm doing. <laughs> but we have to separate our friendship from uh, their actions. So, uh, yes, we're still in touch, and we are still friends. Think about the trusting, unsuspecting children who got in line again to get the poison sugar cube. Oh, that's right. 
Okay. How to limit inflammation in lower bowels as a result of a laparoscopy surgical appendectomy. Oh, boy. Okay, so if you've had laparoscopy, then the poison is actually in your abdominal cavity itself. So you would have to clean up your diet and do enemas and um, douching if you're, if you're female, and that's going to pull the stuff out. And if you use garlic uh, tea as a douche, that, that works, but that, that will do it. It will take time, but that will do it. All right, that is it for the year. We will see you next year, and please visit vitalitycapsules.com. Oh, I have to say, everything you've heard tonight is my interpretation, my slant on things, and uh, believe it at your own risk, of course. All right, see you next year. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.